The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. This morning's scripture reading comes from John 13, 1 through 20. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right for so I am. If then, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Well, I don't uh, know if you remember um, when you were graduating from high school or, and or college um, and the commencement speech that you received. <laughs> do, you remember, do you remember any of it, like, at all? Uh, do you remember even who said it? Do you remember the people who were there? Uh, and, see, that, that is a, such an interesting thing because if you think about the way that... Uh, we have those speeches lined up and, and the importance of them. Um, man, they're supposed to be like this powerful send you out kind of thing, right? 
uh, supposed to motivate you, kind of wrap up everything, make it all just kind of tie up all the loose ends. And yet we're all kind of like looking around like, do I look okay? This robe feels weird. This hat, why do they make these hats this way? You know, like you kind of, you kind of are thinking about all the stuff in the moment. Uh, I do remember who gave my speeches at both mine. Um, it, my high school one was pretty, pretty cool. Uh, a guy named Kyle Rote Jr. I don't know if you know that name. Uh, he was uh, a professional soccer player, graduated from my high school, and so they had him back. But um, here's what's interesting. Um, before he was the president, uh, George W. Bush gave the commencement at my uh, address at, at Baylor. Um, and I actually didn't even think about that until I was thinking about this sermon. Uh, I was like, who did give that? Isn't <laughs> that funny? Um, and I remember a few people as they were walking by were like, are you running for president? What are you doing? You know, it was all those rumors. And he was giving that sly, you know, look like, well, 24 hours a week, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but it's incredible to think about how powerful, again, I mean, even those names, especially today, they're trying to get even big names of people to speak. But do you remember, like, what's said? Um, <laughs> Look, we're starting a new series, and I'm really excited about it. Uh, this is a series I've wanted to preach through for some time, and it's called The Upper Room Discourse. It's, it's actually a moment where Jesus um, speaks to his disciples for the final time. And in John, different than the other Gospels, you get to feel how it slowed way down in a number of chapters, 13 to 17, to hear what does Jesus say in that upper room? What are his words to his disciples? What's it like? What, what are the, what's the moment? What does it feel? John takes the moment to even slow it down for us to experience it, to feel it, to know it. When Jesus is in the room talking to them, and not just doing the meal, where some of the other Gospels, they, they discuss this evening, but they move past it a little quicker. John gives it enough for us to hear, what does Jesus say in his final moments with his disciples? After years of being their teacher, after years of being their master and rabbi, how does he conclude his ministry? And they don't necessarily know all that, but he does. What would he say? How would he conclude it? So we're going to look at that for the next several weeks, actually leading up to Easter, because it leads up perfectly to uh, Easter as we've kind of uh, worked this out to look at and, and, and to lead us into the passion narrative of Jesus, that is his, his death leading to the cross. And it begins in this way, and we're going to look at um, two things from this passage, uh, that are very profound. And this is the way that Jesus begins his discourse with them. We're going to look at the act of Jesus cleansing them and then the reason for him cleansing them. Simple things, act. What is the act of him actually doing this? And then what is the reason? Why is he doing it? What, what is he getting across here? Because I think as we look at this section of the gospel, and we'll, for, for the next several weeks, you'll hear me say this. I'll farm in you know, intro stuff and talk about the, the upper room discourse a little bit more as we go along. So, um, but it's really um, one of the sections that we as disciples, as we hear his disciples in that room here, what does it mean to follow Jesus? It directly impacts for us. What does it mean for us 
to follow Jesus. So let's look at the act of cleansing and the reason for cleansing. Now, chapter 13, verse 1, as you read this, and anytime you're reading the Bible, just to give you some, some ideas in, in, of how you're reading, when you see certain markers of time, like now before the Feast of Passover, so this is giving you a whole new narrative, okay? Anytime you're reading the Bible and it, and it kind of begins that way, now, boom, and it tells you of an event. And then it even goes further, and this is something that John really likes to do when he, in his gospel. He says, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, now that word hour is used quite a bit in there, to give markers of not just time, but distinguishing moments, that this is a key moment. And in verses one through three, he sets the tone really powerfully. Listen to it again. Now, before the feast of the Passover, which is thousands of Jews and people who observe Judaism are coming into Jerusalem to observe the Passover meal. This is the meal that celebrated the Israelites coming out of Egypt. Their God passed over and brought them out of um, Egypt. And so they're coming now to celebrate that. Jesus then knew his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father that is his. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. There's a lot happening in those three verses. But think about that. He's setting the tone. He's saying, here's the time, the Passover, the hour. He's saying, there's a cosmic battle going on here. He starts talking about the devil. He starts talking about betrayal. He starts talking about things that are heavy and weighty. It even begins in this passage and ends it, and you'll see it all the way through. And most of the gospel, other gospel writers, really hit on just that portion. But there's a cosmic war going on. And then how does it end verse three? It says all things are given into Jesus's hands. All things? I mean, think about that. Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, the power that Jesus has in that moment. So what do you think he's gonna do next? Here's the set, here's the tone, the, the speech. What kind of speech would Jesus give? What would he do? He has it all. It would it be dramatic? Would it be powerful? He rose from supper. And they're all sitting there like you're looking at me, like what's going on? <laughs> and they're looking at him. And he starts to disrobe in a way that's not, you know, un unusual per se, but unusual in that moment. And they start thinking, what is he doing? And we don't hear any of them asking until he begins doing it. He starts positioning himself, not in a moment of power, but in a very weird, servile moment. He begins disrobing in a way so that he looks like a servant. He takes a water bowl, and, after he, and, and he tied the towel around his waist, and he poured the water in the basin and began to wash their feet. And as much as it sounds, from that moment of strength that John wants us to feel in those first three verses, it goes all the way down. Everything, if Jesus has everything in his hands, think about this for a moment. It just said all power had been put into Jesus' hands. And in that moment, that's what those disciples wanted. 
They had been following him. They had seen him feed 5,000 people. They had seen him raise Lazarus from the dead. They had seen him do these incredible works. And they thought, man, we have the right guy. John knows he has all the power. So what would he do in the final moments to speak to his disciples? He does the opposite. He, he takes the form of a servant. He pours water in a basin and begins doing an act that to them would be like, oh gosh, what are you doing that for? Now, foot washing, maybe you've heard this before in another sermon or read this or heard about this, but foot washing for them uh, was a really important moment of cleansing because the feet were the place that usually didn't get washed. And when you came into someone's house, particularly for a meal, and especially for one that was of the Passover, to have your feet cleaned was important. But typically, people who cleaned your feet were not any normal slaves. They were like the slaves' slaves because your feet were so dirty. Now, look, I, I have kids that go out and they wear these things called natives. Some of you weren't seen those shoes before. They're pretty sweet shoes. I put them on uh, them all the time. I love because they're rubber and they're indestructible. But they'll come in sometimes and take those shoes off and around the sides of their feet, it looks literally like, but then stand like a cake on their feet. Like, I don't know, I don't think these things are working the way they should. It traps the dirt in there and then forms a nice little ring around their feet. And then they take their shoes off. They don't care. They're like, eh, no, 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 no. We're like, no, 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 no. You got to wipe your feet. Look at your feet. They're so disgusting. Okay. In those moments, we're like, that's what they're thinking. And a lot of times when people stop in this passage, they get really hung up on how dirty the feet are. And they were. These people did not wash their feet. Look, think about that all the time. They're not using soap on their feet much. They wash and bathe, but not in the same way. And the feet were open sandals to all the world, all the dust, all the dirt, all the filth, trash. Everything's out there. It's not in nice receptacles. It's all out there. But the point here isn't how filthy their feet are. What they can't believe isn't so much of that their feet are filthy. It's the fact that Jesus posture to address their feet. They can't believe that Jesus would be willing to actually address their feet. Look, <laughs> look when I sit there and, and address my kids' feet, that's one thing. And I'm like, oh, wipe your feet. Take these wipes. Fine, I'll do it. Because you're not getting all the dirt. <laughs> But what Jesus is doing customarily is different. He's not just doing it for them. He's taking a posture of an actual slave. One that not even a Jewish slave would do. And their reaction is in kind. When Peter says in verse six, he said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? That's what he's saying. Do you wash my feet? He was sitting in the seat of teacher, which we'll see him go back to. And then he arises to go take care of a place where they are completely filthy. And he takes the humble posture that none of them would think he would take. Humility as a servant. I wonder how often we think, and, and this is what 
Jesus is wanting to get his disciples to understand is the act of what he's doing is who he is. Him washing their feet isn't just trying to give a good illustration, which he will talk about it being an example, but it's also him saying, this is who I am as the suffering servant. He's taking up titles and roles that the Old Testament has been building up to that people go, no, 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 this is filthy. No one would do this. Humility, even in the Roman world, in the Roman world, the virtue of humility wasn't even esteemed. It was something where you were, if you took a posture of humility in the Roman world, you were seen as someone who is easily to be crushed or set aside. You didn't take up humility. You didn't do the humble thing. It was not heralded as a virtue. And for them, you can kind of see along the way as they follow Jesus, when he takes positions of power, they're asking, hey, where's my role in that too? Jesus will do something and they'll ask him questions of like, hey, when you take the throne, when you come into power, can I have the, the, the rider or left seat next to you? Can I sit next to you in power? They ask that over and over. In fact, every gospel writer writes that. Because isn't that what we want? I mean, we want a savior who's gonna save us, who's gonna come out fighting, who's gonna beat everything that we can't beat. And yet, what does Jesus do? He takes the posture of a slave, complete and utter humility. This is what one of my favorite authors uh, and writers, St. Augustine said, what, what the central principles of Christianity are about. And you'll see, where does he get this? What are the central principles of Christianity? He said, the first is humility. The second is humility. And the third is humility. And he wasn't being funny. If you read any Harvard Business Review, any journals, you'll read that humility is, is, is deeply needed for leadership in any sort of place in an office or in a workforce. That it's heralded as that. It's needed. But do we really understand, what is Jesus' humility, though? It's not just that he's humble about who he is. He's humble about what he does. Peter and even misses the point here <laughs> when, he, when he thinks, oh, okay, do you wash my feet? What, am I, what he says, what I'm doing you will not understand now, but after you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. If I don't do this, you will have no share with me. It is of that great importance that Jesus takes this position for Peter to have any sort of share, any sort of relationship with him. And it is uncomfortable. In fact, you can almost feel it that it is probably silent in that room with the awkwardness of what Jesus is doing. What we, in our culture, worship, the, one of the things we worship is not being awkward, hating that. He takes up every moment of that. It's probably silent until, of course, Peter, who typically speaks up, is like, what are you doing? No, you will not wash my feet. This is ridiculous. 
And Jesus doesn't just come back with, no, you need me to do this. He says, you will have no part of me, no share, and it is uncomfortable. I was trying to think, what, what are the moments in our southern hospitable way here? Even if you're not from the south, you've moved to a southern culture, and many of you have felt it or you will feel it. How do we kind of play up that, that hospitality and that humility of, oh, let me serve you? What does it really mean for somebody to, to take that posture? This posture to where it makes you not just go, oh, thank you for taking my plate. Thank you for cleaning this. Thank you for taking, but it makes you uncomfortable. How much someone has humbled themselves to serve you. When was the last time you felt that? Anne Lamott wrote this some time ago. She was talking about traveling mercies from a, uh, something she wrote about washing someone's toilet. Listen to what she says. Last night I decided it was crazy to believe in Christ. Then something truly amazing happened. A man from church showed up at our front door, smiling and waving to me and Sam, her son, and I let him in, and after exchanging pleasantries, he said, Margaret and I wanted to do something for you and the baby. So what I wanted to ask is, what if a fairy appeared on your doorstep and said he or she could do any favor that you, for you at all, anything you wanted around the house, and you felt too, exhaust, too exhausted to do it by yourself, too ashamed to ask anyone to help you with? And she was like, I can't even say, I said. It's too horrible. But he finally convinced me to tell him. And I said it would be to clean the bathroom. And he ended up spending an hour scrubbing the bathtub and toilet and sink. And with Ajax and lots of hot water. And I sat on the couch while he worked, watching TV, feeling vaguely guilty and nursing Sam to sleep. But it made me feel sure of Christ again, of that kind of love. This, a man scrubbing a new mother's bathtub, is what Jesus means to me. I think that barely scratches the surface. But where does the service that you receive from anything make you uncomfortable in a way of, this shouldn't be happening to me. This is where the disciples are, deeply uncomfortable. And yet this is the posture of strength. You wanna know what's all in his hands? It's their nasty feet. And they will have no part of him unless he holds those feet unless he cleanses them. The act of cleansing has to happen. And why does he do it? What is the reason? What, what is behind it all? Why would he do that? Is it just to show that he's a servant? Or is there more to that? You know what John does a lot? And, and if you go back through the Gospels, he'll use this language of understanding. It happens a couple times here. <clears throat> He even says here in verse 7, what I'm doing you will not understand now, but afterward you will understand. And later on in verse 12, do you understand what I have done to you? John plays up this language of understanding a lot. If you go back 
verse, chapter three, chapter four. They're chapters, whole chapters of where there's this almost misunderstanding between Jesus and whomever he's speaking to. It's like he's speaking on one level and they're like, wait, you're talking about being born again. There's a man named Nicodemus, chapter three, who's a Pharisee. He keeps talking about being born again and Nicodemus is like, what are you talking about? Born again? How, and he actually asked Jesus, can a man go back into his mother's womb? And Jesus is like, do you have no idea what I'm talking about? Next chapter, he's talking to a woman at a well. Said, if you, if you take the water that I give you, you will never have to come back to this well. You'll never, never thirst again. She's like, Where, where's the water? You don't even have a bucket. Constantly, this question of understanding. It's a missing, do you understand? They call him rabbi and Lord, which is connected to divinity even, Lord, and yet they don't understand. They don't understand what? How much they need to be cleaned by Christ. But what he's really doing, Peter even says it. I love, again, Peter. Peter is such, <laughs> such a great figure for all of us. It should be a comfort. Verse nine, Simon Peter says to Jesus after he says, if you don't wash me, uh, um, you have no share of me. And Peter says, well, then not only my feet, but also my, my hands and my head. Wash all of me. Wash me clean fully. Probably out of his complete comfort zone. And only for Jesus to say, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean and you are clean but not every one of you. I think we, as much as we know Jesus cleans us, don't understand, why is he really doing that? Uh, I remember in college, there was a girl who was, uh, we were all washing our own clothes. There was a girl who was washing her clothes over and over. And she said, man, my clothes just don't seem to be clean. And, and we were like, okay, well, tell us, what's your process? Like, what, how are you cleaning your clothes? So, well, I get this fabric softener, I put it in, they're soft, feel them, and they smell good, and, and they're awesome. And we're like, wait, 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 that's where you stop? Like, she was just every time putting fabric softener in, because they feel soft. When they come out, and they just put them in the dryer, and they just fluff up. But nothing was, no stains were coming out. There was still a little bit of like a stench in them because there was no soap. <laughs> she didn't understand. And I know that's one of those silly illustrations of like, wait, I just did that last week. Um, but do we really understand the, what Jesus is doing? It's not about their impurity. See, that's what, that's what Peter's asking. Peter's saying, wait, wait, not just my my, my feet then, my hands and my head. He thinks it's a purity question. He thinks it's something else. Jesus is saying, no, no, no. It's much deeper than that. It's about how clean you need to be by me. That the atonement that Jesus brings in his life, death, he says, you don't understand now, but you will, that when he goes to the cross, what does he do to make us clean? What does he touch that makes you so uncomfortable that you can't believe that he would clean that and that you are actually clean? 
from whatever you looked at on a screen, from whatever you stole from your office or work or taxes, from the way that you looked at someone, the way that you treated your spouse or your children and exasperated them, the way that you see yourself and handle yourself when no one else is watching, the impurities that you think that are deeper that you just can't seem to reach because they are further down than just your hands and your head. Jesus makes us clean. And the only way he can do that is by not just doing a purity ritual, but by putting himself in the position of a slave, a servant, humbling himself to death, even as Paul says in Philippians 2, even death on a cross, so that you know you are actually clean. You know what's uncomfortable about these pa this passage? Is that Judas is in here. And it does say this, and I'm sure all of y'all caught it. He says, even at the end, verse 10, he says, and you are clean, but not every one of you. He begins again, he said at the beginning of that. At the end of this passage, he talks about that there's someone whose heel is lifted up against me in verse 18. He's talking about Judas, that Judas is in the room and he cleans Judas's feet. But here, you know what the difference is between Judas? And there's a lot of mystery in there about who Judas is and what God does with him. But I'll tell you what the difference is. Do you know what the difference is? It is recorded in John that Judas always called Jesus rabbi, but never Lord. That it is one thing to look at Jesus as a great teacher, but good teaching will not cleanse you. Good teaching can't get into your soul. There are not enough podcasts for you to listen to in 2024 or books that you want to read or whatever resolutions you want to make to do that. Do you know where New Year's resolutions actually came from? They're actually about 4,000 years old. And they were made, and then the Romans picked it up in the first century to, to make this towards Janus. That's why January, that's why it moved. It actually used to be in March for the Babylonians. And then the Romans picked it up and said, we should make this a holiday. And Janus, the god of two-faced god of January... They said, you know what we'll do every year? We'll, we'll make sure that we're, our behavior is straightened up. We'll sacrifice the right amount of crops. We'll do just the right thing to make sure this year is better than the next. Sound familiar? Isn't that what you want? You want 2024 to be different and better. So do I. How does that happen? Does it happen by better teaching? Does it happen by things we do better? I need to do this better. I need to do that better. Nothing can change your heart except the one who can get there. And the reason he does that is because he loves them and he loves us. You know what's incredible about this whole discourse? You'll see over time, it, the, even the pronouns change from his disciples to you and me. When he says this, that all things into his hands and he's going back to God, he's talking about those of us. We are put into his hands. The reason he cleans them is because he loves them.
Because he cares for them. And look, here's the application. The whole section below, and they go, do you understand? When he goes, do you understand what I've done to you? You cannot serve. And this is the point of Christians. You know what people always have a problem with Christians? It's because we talk like we know everything, and we act as though we're above everybody. Why does Jesus begin his entire speech by disrobing and taking the posture of a slave? Because the source of any of us who would say we are Christ followers cannot be real unless he is the ultimate source. It can't be a good teaching. It can't begin with just, yes, that's a good word. It has to begin with God himself doing that for us and in us and to us so that you can actually be an example. That's why he says, do you understand what I've done to you? Verse 13, you call me teacher and Lord and you're right. You're right because I sit in this position of authority. That's why he took that position back. And yet I've removed myself from it to show you the only way that you can be washed as if I move from it. He says, if then your Lord and teacher has washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. How in the world can you and I wash someone else's feet? Metaphorically speaking, it's not like we're walking around doing that. But how do we do that? The only way we can do that is if we know the Lord himself has done it. We can't walk around with a false humility and act like we're serving, what changes us is knowing God has done it. What changes those around us is knowing that the source of our serving others and living in faith and humility is in him. That's the only way we can come to this table. We can only come to this table knowing that the body and blood that is sacrificed at this table is not ours. We're not the great ones. And this isn't another teaching for us. It's, it's an act of God's work. This is a sacrament. This is set aside by Jesus himself. Foot washing is not a sacrament. It was an example. It was a parable of his beginning, his, his, his discourse as he ended his ministry to go to the cross so that you can come to this table and you can taste his atonement that you are clean. The most filthy, the most dirty, the places that you think there is no way. When you taste this, when you see Jesus, you have to know it is not into your opinion whether you are clean. You are made clean. It's not how you feel whether I feel clean. If that was the way it was, we would feel clean one day and not the next. We are only made clean by Christ, by him cleansing us, by him taking the form of a servant, and humbling himself, even in the form of a slave, taking up the cross and dying for us. Thanks be to God. This is how he begins. <laughs> if there's a speech to remember, this is the one. Amen. Stand.